Hey everyone, this is Tiffany. And this is George. Welcome to our podcast, Richness of the Word. If this is your first time with us, uh, we are a husband and wife team that studies books of the Bible together, preferably books of the Bible that you wouldn't normally hear at a Sunday sermon. Mm-hmm. We have just recently completed series on Jonah, Ruth, and Esther. We definitely want to encourage you to take a look at those. And then today, we are going to look at a little two-part series, because it's only two chapters. We're going to look at the book of Haggai, which is actually the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Quick, what's the first one? Obadiah. (laughs) You can't stump me on these. Haggai, which is the correct pronunciate, pronunciation for this. Pronunciation. I cannot pronounce pronunciation, <laughs> but I can pronounce Haggai. It takes place about 20 years after the exile, the Babylonian exile. These people, the Old Testament uh, Jews, were taken away into Babylon. And then when Persia had taken over basically the known world, they allowed the Jews to return to the promised land to rebuild. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also, it's interesting how specific they are with the times in Haggai. This is like the best as far as dating. Like we know exactly what day and what year in history that these events are happening. It's actually, at least chapter one is at a time of a festival, which means that all the people in Jerusalem are actually going to be here and they can actually hear what Haggai has to say not just to the leaders, but so this is actually spoken to all the people so in Jerusalem and, and throughout the promised land so they, they can hear it. Quite convenient for the word, for the Lord to come upon Haggai. <laughs> right. It, it, was, it definitely seems like all a, a part of the plan. I do want to point out... Haggai was born for such a time as this. <laughs> oh, yes. Very good. Yeah. I do want to point out that the Lord of hosts is used a lot in this mm. book. And the Lord of hosts is, in, in other translations, you might see God of angel armies. Mm-hmm. Just like that Chris Tomlin song. I was about to say, or in that Chris Tomlin <laughs> Yeah, Chris Tomlin song. Uh, or you could say the, the Lord of hosts. And, but it basically is referring to God as this military commander and that he is, the, is of ultimate supreme authority and power. So that's something to keep in mind as the Lord then rebukes the people in Haggai. So without any further ado, let's actually look at chapter one. We do encourage you to read chapter one. Also, if uh, you haven't yet, please pause our podcast and read the chapter for yourself and then come back and uh, hear our, our thoughts on it. Where we're at is the temple has not been built So as you pointed out, it's been, they've been back in Jerusalem for 20 years. Mm -hmm. They've had 20 years to rebuild the temple. And this whole time it is just laid in ruins unfinished. Right. They've rebuilt their their city, right? Mm -hmm. They've rebuilt their own homes. They've gotten back to work and building their farms and everything. But in the meantime, the temple of the Lord has been has, has just laid there unfinished and, and in still in ruins. Mm-hmm. And so we start off with verses two and four where the God where God 
calls him out on this. And then in verse five and in verse seven, he even says, consider your ways, mm-hmm. right? The Lord through Haggai tells the people, consider your ways, basically saying, what are your priorities? Right, because the rotting, decaying temple is signifying to God and to everyone else that God is not as important to them as right. their own homes and wants and not necessarily needs because God has shown them time and time again throughout their journey that he's always there to protect them and and guide them where they needed to be. And he's always promised to them that they will come back here. Right. But it's it's quite clear that the people are right now the people care more about themselves than God. They're mm-hmm. they're very focused on building their own fortunes, building up their own families. And we know that God, you know, doesn't need a temple. There's plenty of passages, like in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter uh, 65 and 66, where he talks about, I don't need this. But God does desire uh, wholehearted devotion from his people. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I, I need you to be devoted to me, to be my people. And the fact that you're not building this temple shows that you're not. Right. I want to touch back on what you just said wholeheartedly. When you are so in love with someone or or very passionate about something you do, you give your all into it. Mm-hmm. And clearly, a lot of times, and in, in even a lot of our lives as Christians, we're kind of half-hearted in, in our walk with Christ because of the world and us letting the world impact us. And that's what we're seeing here is they're half-heartedly in in everything that's going on around them Absolutely. for God. And, and, and it begs the question, the application for us Christians today is, you know, what do you do with your time and money? Mm-hmm. Do you use it to build up your own fortune, build up your own family? Not to say that fortune and family are bad things and you need to reject those things, but right. how much of that do you devote to God? Because God should be... Yeah, the love of your life, the, the mm-hmm. thing that you are most uh, focused on and, and, and focused on serving. Now, Christians, right, we don't have necessarily a temple that we need to build. But I do want to point out Matthew twenty eight nineteen and 20. Go, therefore, this is Jesus' words, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And also keep that I am with you in mind as well uh, as we move forward. But that's what Christian's work is. It's to build up the church, share the gospel, and Mm -hmm. minister to God's people. Mm -hmm. So even though we don't have a temple that God needs us building, we do need to build up the church. We do have a job that God is asking us to do, to spend our time and money doing. So C.S. Lewis once said in um, his book, The Weight of Glory, pretty much to sum up what he said, um, all day long in every single one of your interactions with people, you're either going to drive them in one direction or another. If, mm. if you are a Christian depending upon how you interact with someone is going to either point point them to, to Christ or it's going to deter them and keep them from wanting to go to him. So if you're 
if you, we as Christians, are constantly filling ourselves up with Christ, interacting with him daily, it makes it that much easier and more joyful to ensure we're pointing other people to Christ. If you're not doing those things and you're falling to your time and money on idols, it's taking it away from you. You need to consider your ways. Yes, you need to consider your ways. Exactly. And I think and if you look at verse 6, we kind of see the culprit of why the people are um, of why the people are are ignoring the temple and also some consequences, the 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 warning of God. What verse 6 says is, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what this is saying is, is these people think they have a small view of God. They think anything good is something they accomplish. I harvest, or I, you know, I, I sow, I harvest, and I get my food, and I get my wages. Right? I earn this. This is my money. Or this is my farm. This is my house. These things are mine that I built up mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And the Lord is showing, no, this is all for me. Mm-hmm. And that's why, if you've noticed, at least in this story, he's saying, your harvests, is, your harvests have not been very good. Because I'm not letting them be good. Mm -hmm. I am trying to warn you. He says in verse 9, You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. So he's he's saying right there in the verse, Yes, Mm -hmm. you're doing all of these things, and nothing came of it. And then he's stating, I I blew it away. I have taken it away from you. Right. Now, in this case, with the Old Testament, right, there's the Old Testament covenant where... The people of Israel, if you serve God and are devoted to him, he's going to bless you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, he's not going to bless you. Right. right? And that's what's happening here. God's like, listen, I'm just fulfilling what the covenant said. You're not upholding your part of the bargain. But even so, even today, right? It's throughout the Bible. And I'm sure you can point to your own lives when there is something that you love more than God. If you have some idol and then God goes, I'm going to take that away. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let you have it because I love you too much. To not let you devote your life to something that in the end is not going to fulfill you. Mm-hmm. And so exactly, that's what God is doing here. If you have a lack of concern for God, it's going to lead to him withholding his blessing. Now, here's the other thing. All that money and, and your time and all that other stuff that you say is yours, right? It actually belongs to God. It's already his anyway. So what's encouraging is, is also... God is glorified by anything offered to him. Everything comes from him and it belongs to him anyway. So like in verse eight, when God says, go to the hills, bring wood and build the house, right? He is saying, listen, go, go get the stuff. Start building up my temple, working for me, living for me, giving of your resources. And that's going to bring me glory. And that's what I want. So moving on, we've got verse 12 in which it says that all the yeah. people obeyed and feared the Lord. This, it seems to me, to be one of the very few times in the Bible where actually everybody Everyone listened obeyed. to God and did what they were supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> we 
Right. It's but that's funny because you know how when we when we read the Bible, we're like, why are these people not listening to him? Do they not see everything that's happened prior to this has all failed? And but that's how we are. Right. You know, with everything that we do, you know, if when we look back on our lives and where we are in this moment, 15, 20 years from now, why didn't I not listen to God when he told me to X, Y, Z? Why did I not see that? It reminds me of what you just said. reminds me of something that R.C. Sproul uh, once said. It was something to this effect. When you read the Bible and you see a character that you're like, that person is a complete idiot. That's, that's you. Yeah, that's the one that you are. Right. Didn't uh, he say Matt, was it a Matt Chandler um, sermon where he was like, everybody said, thinks that oh, they're David. Oh, David and Goliath. You're, You're not, not David. David. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, yes, you but are the Israelite that's cowering in fear. Yes, and that's true. And that's how we need to reality check, have a moment, because everyone thinks they're the hero in their own story. And God's the hero. God is. That is exactly how it is. But anyway, in this case, though, you do have the people obeying, but it is, it says that they obey and they fear the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you see this all, the, all, all over the Bible, right? This reference to fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not about like, I'm completely terrified of God. It is a reverence, mm-hmm. right? It is, it is a reverence and, re, and a respect for God when you realize who he is. It's a wise response, but I think it's an important to point out, right? If we don't revere God, we don't obey. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna you're not gonna obey the Lord if you don't have a healthy reverence or, or fear of Him. If you're not in awe of God and who He is, then your obedience is going to be lacking. But then, once the people start obeying, verse thirteen, God responds again. God declares, I am with you. Mm-hmm. And that is, is God's immediate response to the obedience, right? It, didn't, it wasn't until after everybody built the temple and then God's like, okay, yep, yeah. you did it now. All right, now I'll bless you. No, no, no. As the, the immediate response by the Israelites brought about an immediate response by God. Mm-hmm. I am with you. And just what a beautiful promise. He's not punishing them. He is encouraging them. Mm-hmm. He is giving them strength. He is saying, I am here now. The Lord of hosts is with you. And I can just, because you can only imagine how, how that must have felt to be told, you think that you're giving yourself of all of this, but I am taking it away from you. Um, you need to get up and you need to go do start building my temple again and the moment they all do it just the love that he has for them mm-hmm. to say i i am with you through this i am no lo- i'm not going to punish you mm-hmm. and and again this these are people who 90 years prior <laughs> were taken into exile because they had broken their covenant with yeah. god so what an amazing promise and what an again this is the same promise given to us as mm-hmm. as I read in Matthew 28 Jesus said go and make disciples and I am with you and again just what a wonderful promise that God is with us if we follow him right and it it goes to show i mean this was 
everything that they've experienced over 90 plus years at this point, that you're never too far gone for God. A lot of people think that they have to have it all together in order to come to him, and you don't. And this is showing that. Right. He's reprimanding them about everything that they're doing just in this chapter one. And then a very few short verses later, they listen to him. As soon as there's repentance. He's with you. Yep. He's with you. But it's like that Carrie Job song where she's just constantly singing, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. Mm-hmm. Brothers and sisters, he is for you. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you're doing in the moment that you're listening to this podcast. He's there with you. He sees you and he loves you. All he wants is for you to turn around and say that you're there for him. And that concludes <laughs> the very short chapter of Haggai 1. Yeah. It, I, what a great way to end it, you know, <laughs> with this wonderful promise from God. Uh, encouragement, right, to mm-hmm. build up his church, to serve him. Mm-hmm. Well, before we go, we do have uh, a few discussion questions that you can use as, for your own personal reflection or as part of a Bible study or family worship that you might be uh, participating in. Well, so number one is whose temple am I building? Is it mine or is it God's? You know, consider your ways. Question number two. Do you have a reverence for God? How can your fear of Him be cultivated? And finally, number three. Why is God's promise of, I am with you to those who obey Him, so encouraging? Please join us next week as we then look at chapter two. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord has shown you the richness of the word.